0: This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, we have a very special interview, and I know because I already did the interview, I recorded ahead of time because I had some trouble getting it scheduled, and so it is now scheduled... Uh, excuse me. It was scheduled and I just got it in the can. Uh, an interview with a guy named Tony Lyons, who st- started the Sky Horse Publishing Company in 2006. And um, he's been on my radar for a while. Uh, especially guys and gals, people in the media who take a chance uh, and get into a space that's, first of all, hard to succeed at. Publishing is really hard to succeed at now. And second of all, that are willing to publish things that are controversial. Um, Tony Lyons published a book on Epstein. He published a book on... Um, uh, he uh, published a book by Woody Allen, a memoir. Woody Allen obviously has some baggage. And now he's published the uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr. book about Fauci. And so we'll talk with uh, Tony Lyons about Skyhorse Publishing, about the Fauci book, about what the media has done. Uh, extraordinary. And uh, the interview is amazing. You're going to really like it. It's almost almost 20 minutes. I did a double segment with him. So I'll put it up on social media. Don't forget, you can always go over to ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and and sign up there. All right. What are we going to talk about today? Here's what you need to know today. I told you uh, the other day. I, I, I talked about um, an inter, uh, Excuse me, a speech by Dr. Larry Arn of Hillsdale College, and the speech was pretty powerful because it talked about sort of how you could make America a freedom-loving place, despotic, and one of the critiques that Larry Arn, who has both the perspective as a historian as well as uh, a how to say a a practical a policy. Uh, maker or someone who lives in the world of policy. he's run a university he's been on. He was on the 1776 commission of President Trump. Well, I, one of the, the, the basic criticism at the beginning of his speech, which I talked about at length yesterday, was if you want to t- tie up a nation, create this massive regulatory state that has power over aspects of our lives and power over the raising of money and spending of money. And so when you listen, for example, to the RFK Jr. book that we'll talk about in a few moments about uh, Fauci, what you realize is that the agency that he heads up, that Dr. Fauci heads up, in, started heading it up in 1984, and today it's almost 40 years later. He actually worked there for about 10 years, 12 years before. He's been there 50 years. The agency has gone from being modest sized to being massive, and its massiveness is hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars, with a B of development of pharmaceutical drugs. And in fact, over time, to Dr. Larry Arn's position, uh, his critique, the agencies that Fauci ran became dominated by a vision of how to succeed with pharmaceuticals. It's sort of natural. And so I, I, as we talked about that, here's, here's the thing I wanted to ask you to think about. Here's what you need to know today. Now we have shown over the past five years So that some of the most important entities that we trust have either betrayed us or at least been so sloppy, it's their suspect. So you point to the FBI where they were um, changing the the FISA warrants or disappearing documents, the so-called 302s, the notes from interviews. And over and over, you saw at least saw an indication that the FBI and some of the senior Peter Strzok and his girlfriend or whatever his paramour were sort of hostile to the uh, powers that be at the at the minimum. They were hostile, you know, negative at the at the maximum. They were sort of working against the government. It was a kind of a coup situation. I'm not sure we'll ever know. I mean, maybe we'll know. But over and over again, the FISA warrants, the Mueller report, what, what has become clearer and clearer is agencies that we believed in, entities that we trusted, were not only violating uh, the spirit of the law, but the law. And here comes another one of these. Just a few days ago, the NSA, you know, the NSA, and, and again, back to the Fauci, uh, the Fauci uh, conundrum. Um, in 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 describing 1984 he takes over as the head of his agency within the nih i don't think it's the whole nih it's another agency within there and by the time it's 40 years later today it's grown in its scope it's grown in its power it's grown in its money making they make hundreds of millions of dollars in in um, patent proceeds because the people who work there hold patents i can't believe this is true if you work at a company a private company, and you work there and you get a patent for your company, you don't get to share in the profits of the patent unless the company has it in your contract, right? So that you're, say you're say you're a scientist and you're working at Qualcomm, a very famous company in San Diego. In fact, if you go to Qualcomm's uh, lobby, it's an extraordinary to walk into. They have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of patents. It's an extraordinary company. But if you work at Qualcomm, you might get your name on the patent because you're one of the inventors, but you're not the one who owns it and you're not the one who benefits from it. Generally, now, unless it's in your contract ahead of time, unless it's part of what you negotiate. But now imagine working for the government and you're in this research division and you're doing research for the government. And as part of the research you're generating, you're doing research on drugs and you're generating drugs and you're getting patents. And the patents are spun out to private companies who produce them, who utilize the patents and produce them. And you as an individual are getting paid. So, Dr. Fauci Gets $420,000 a year in salary and on top of that receives benefits for patents that were developed while he was working for the government. So the government pays your salary, pays for the lab, pays for the test tubes, pays for the filing fee, pays for the paper, pays for the the secretary to put it together, pays for everything that has to do with the patent. And you get to make money off of it? That's a surprise to me. So back to this. So. This is the NSA, the National Security Agency, like the Fauci agency, like the Fauci effect, has grown since the 80s, when, since it was designed, into this behemoth. When initially the NSA was you know, very narrow, it was going to be something that using electronics generally to survey, and the NSA has become this massive, massive entity. And, and originally, it was going to be sort of to eavesdrop on communications. And now it's just this massive thing because of technology, mostly. But as the technology expanded, sort of like Fauci, Fauci and the, and the scientists, as the technology expanded, so too did the expansion of the agency. So you went from saying in the 1980s, oh, we got these three drugs. Now you're doing hundreds and hundreds of trials and all this kind of stuff. Over at the NSA, they have an inspector general released a semi-annual report. So to at least twice a year. They do this report and it basically says the NSA is abusing its statutory authority in terms of surveying and surveilling the people in this country. So the agency that is statutorily created with guardrails. It's in the law, the guardrails about how you can't uh, survey America, the American citizen without the certain kinds of protections, without going to court, you know, all the kinds of search and seizure protections, but specifically in the in the statutes. And and now it's it's not even hidden. It's not even like it's not even I mean, by the way, this is just the stuff we know. The inspector general says, um, yeah, they're not abiding by the law. Um, yeah. OK, what now? What now? And, and let me be clear. This is just what we know. So ten years ago, we watched. Eleven years ago, twelve years ago, maybe we watched as as Obama's IRS was caught using their agency power against citizens, targeting them for politics. Not entirely uncommon in the in the host of human endeavors in politics and governing. J. Edgar Hoover, when you went back and looked at history, he was targeting people. All that. So I'm not saying it's unique. What I'm saying is the size and scope of the power of the NSA, of the FBI, of the CIA is bigger than it's ever been. And this is just what we're seeing. So when you watch and we'll listen in a few minutes to this interview with uh, with um, Tony Lyons about the book on Fauci by RFK Jr. And you, if you listen to that whole book, I, I've been listening to the book on tape. I you read the book, or listen to the book on tape. That's what I've been doing. Uh, audible. You, you, you will be stunned. To realize again, not so much what they're doing—I think that's impressive and st- striking and startling—but the scope of what they're doing, the amount of what they're doing, is just uh, unbelievable. And it's the same thing over at the uh, uh, the over at the NSA now, and this is just what we're seeing. So now take that and multiply that all across government. I mean, we're at a crisis point, and the question again becomes. What is it you can do to reverse this? Now, at various times there was something called the Church Commission. You may remember hearing about that. That was the Church Commission was set up in order to take a hard look at some of the intelligence failures. And the Church Commission was named after Senator, the Senator Senator Church. I think he was from, uh, I think he might have been from Idaho. Frank Church, yeah, from Idaho. Um, and it was a select committee, and it looked at the CIA, the NSA, the FBI, and the IRS. I'm looking at it now, the notes I had on this, and it was set up in '75. And that was, the, you know, the, the, in the, uh, two decades, three decades before that, there was a Reese committee. And the Reese committee was set up to examine the nonprofits, the foundations in the country that had become conduits for money, for spending in a way that looked like it was especially uh, 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 promoting anti-American, um, uh, pro-communist stuff. So we have a history of these committees. But then we have the January 6th committee. And we have these impeachment committees over the last five, four years that are just a joke. And so you don't I don't think people think Congress is serious to take this on. But so back to my point, we're not talking about 1960, where you had an agency that had a $10 million budget. And, you know, 650 employees. We're talking now about agencies in the health, uh, National Institutes of Health. They have thousands of employees. All told, all of our health agencies, all the different categories in the federal government, we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars. You now have 17 or 18 intelligence agencies all backed up and next to each other and interlocking, supposedly coordinated, probably not spending hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. I don't know if it's into the billions, probably is with thousands and thousands of employees. How do you unwind this? What you need to know is the good news is we're seeing this for the first time, maybe clearer than ever. Let me say it differently. The good news is what you need to know is what you need to know is the good news. We're seeing all of this clearer than we ever have before. Some people have seen this before and talked about it, but we're seeing it clearer than ever. The bad news is, what are we going to do about it? That's the real challenge. All right, we got to take a break, everybody. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Please visit proamericareport.com, proamericareport.com. Sign up there for the Daily Wink. We'll be right back. Ed Martin, Pro America Report, back in a moment. welcome back welcome back ed martin here on the pro america report now you all know i love to talk to authors and publishers i especially love to hear uh, those folks that are out there with different uh viewpoints but i have to tell you on this one my father who is an inveterate reader he taught me a lot about reading um he has been on me uh for a while uh for this interview and that's because he's he read the book it's called the real anthony fauci by robert f kennedy jr rfk jr and Uh, published by Skyhorse Publishing, and I'll get into all that. But so my dad's been texting me, Tony, questions to ask. And also we have the publisher, the the founder of Skyhorse, who took the courage to go do this uh, and publish this book, uh, Tony Lyons. Welcome to the program, Tony. How are you? Great. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, it's great to have you on. And I wanted to ask you um, about this kind of book. You've published other books. I mean, you've been in publishing. You've published books across all genres. Um, Did you publish this one? knowing two things did your gut say it was a success meaning it was going to be a big hit and then did you expect the blowback uh and and how how did each of those things play out in your head so i've known bobby kennedy for more than 10 years and i've published his
2: his two other books Uh Um, and the uh, one that was similar to this one was one called Marisol, let the science speak and that was about uh, mercury in uh, vaccines that uh, that young children take. Uh, so Bobby Kennedy was involved in that struggle for many many years to get the mercury taken out of those vaccines, and was right. very successful in uh, in right. doing that. But you know, from publishing that book, I was perfectly aware of what was like <laughs> right on the, on the censorship side. Yeah. Uh on the success side that that took me, you know, that that I was not prepared for. Um you know, the censorship of of many other books that we've published in the last couple of years uh and the censorship generally now um uh-huh. you know led led me to to believe that uh that the book might be shut down in more ways than it was, even though it, it, it was shut down in, in almost every conceivable way. But as, right. as, as I'll tell you later, you know, it it's it's breakthrough is sort of, I think, a historic moment mm-hmm. where the American people are kind of saying that they're tired of being told what to do and what to think and certainly what to read so that you see books that are being censored or banned right away become the best-selling books in the country
1: yeah um uh, go ahead no we're, we're talking with tony Lyons. i want to make sure the, the book we're talking about is the real anthony fauci bill gates big pharma and the global war on democracy and public health and uh, and again skyhorsepublishing.com is where you can go to find out more about that book and other books that are there uh, we're talking with tony Lyons, the publisher and the founder of Skyhorse. Um, the, the thing with this book is it's, de- it's dense. In fact, I made a little bit of an error, I'll admit to you. My father said get it, and I got it as an Audible, a book on tape, because I do a lot of driving of my kids, and I've been listening to it, and it's dense. I mean, it's really dense, and I actually got a copy of the book then, on top of paper copy, because some books you can't listen to as well. Um, so it, it's extraordinarily dense. It's got so much uh, in there. As you say, uh, Bobby Kennedy has been basically writing this book for I don't know, 40 years. He, he's talking about the AIDS epidemic and all these things going forward uh again though rfk bobby kennedy he's somewhat controversial before the pandemic um and then he writes this book but you say they shut it down and yet it's sold to i don't know a a half a million copies so they shut it down but but amazon didn't stop selling it right so you're not on nbc uh the today show like you would have been 25 years ago with a hot book with bobby kennedy no matter what the topic but you are still selling it on amazon right
2: Yeah. So the book has now sold well over 800,000 copies. Wow. And, you know, that's in something like 10 weeks. And that happened, you know, like you said, despite a total media blackout, boycotts by major bookstores, boycotts by libraries, no reviews in leading newspapers, censorship on bestseller lists. Um, The uh, New York Times wouldn't let us place an ad. Uh, the big tech platforms wouldn't let us place ads all of those places said the book was misinformation wow. so they said that without reading it and you know notwithstanding the fact that it it has 2194 citations right. it's got blurbs <laughs> from doctors and lawyers and scientists it's got a blurb from a nobel prize winner so this is a serious meticulously researched book so you know whether you you like the narrative or not it's really hard, hard to call this misinformation. So, you know, that just becomes sort of a code word for I don't like the narrative, the general narrative.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, again, we're talking with uh, Tony Lyons, the, the publisher, the founder of Skyhorse Publishing. Uh, if you go again to skyhorsepublishing.com, you'll see a lot of the books that he's published, a lot of different ones that are that are uh, on all sorts of topics. Some of them, uh, the World, Am- World Almanac of, and Book of Facts. I looked at that and I thought, that Tony, that's, I need that for my sons. They love doing throwing out facts and watching Jeopardy. But all right, here's a question from my dad. He texted me this morning. He said, "So, the, and this is uh, Tony, I, his question, the recent news reports on the scientists who said that the plague was not a lab leak were given 50 million dollars in grants uh, and then but privately their emails were saying that they doubted that or that they they didn't necessarily believe what they were saying and 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 Bobby Kennedy had that information. How did he get some of that info my dad's question how did he how did he get that? why did the mainstream media I mean was he is he is he just so well known that people get him the info I mean it's an extraordinary sort of find journalistically sure so
2: you know there are so many doctors and scientists now who have been shut down you know who have been vilified deplatformed. you know there's there's no ability now for medical or scientific debate in this country
1: right. so
2: you know many of those people have have searched for other platforms and they've searched for like-minded people And there are people from from all walks of life, you know, there are people from all different parts of of the country, there are people on the right, people on the left. So, you know, there, there are people who are willing to stand up and who are willing to take the consequences, whatever those consequences are. So I think, you know, people have been bringing information to Robert F. Kennedy Jr. for months and months now about the pandemic and about, information that, that they have, uh, either directly or indirectly. And, you know, what's part of what's contained in this book is all of that information that he's gathered from hundreds and hundreds of, of people, hmm. many of them very serious, very high level doctors and, and scientists.
1: Uh, again, we're talking with Tony Lyons, who's the founder and the publisher of Skyhorse Publishing. Again, skyhorsepublishing.com. And we're talking about the real Anthony Fauci, uh, the book by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, when well, you mention that, um, d- does somebody like Fauci or uh, Collins, when you publish a book like this, do, 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 you, do they get a chance to comment? Like, do you send it to them and say, hey, uh, what do you think about this? Or is it sort of not, doesn't matter? Or do they not, you know, is that not done? Usually
2: newspapers do that. Uh, book publishers tend tend not to do yeah. that, but Fauci has made it very clear that he's not going to comment on, on this book, that he's not going to answer any of the allegations of corruption in, in this book. You know, his position is, you know, he is science. He represents science and that if you disagree with him in any conceivable way, you're anti-science. And, you know, of course, we all know that that's not how science works. Science requires dialogue and debate science requires you know real disagreement where there are, you know thousands and thousands of scientists all around the world doing research and 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 what he's done uh is shut down not only the people but the ideas so mm-hmm. you know any any sort of viable alternative remedy for example Dr Fauci has shut down has told the american people that they're dangerous that the only things that can be helpful are expensive pharmaceuticals or vaccines. Yeah. So, you know, that's a fascinating thing. It's a it's a kind of a fascinating moment because he he has so much control there. And what the book alleges in in great detail is this web of financial entanglements where yeah. It, it just becomes clear that, that Dr. Fauci is a business person and that his goal has nothing to do with public health. His goal is to maximize financial return on investment for his partners in the pharmaceutical field. So, you know, what's fascinating, I, it, it, it will probably give listeners a, a quick laugh, is that somebody asked Dr. Fauci what his favorite book was. And he said, yeah. his favorite book was the Godfather. <laughs> and so I asked, Well, what's your favorite line in that book? And he said, my favorite line is it's not personal. It's just business. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh... You know, like a lot of corrupt people in this world, at some point, they come out and they tell who they really are, you know, over over many, many decades of of doing the things that he's done and acting in the ways that he's acted and he's coming right out. And he's saying that he's more concerned, with business and profits than he is with people and public
1: health. Uh, again, we're talking with uh, Tony Lyons, who's the publisher and uh, the founder of Skyhorse uh, Publishing, skyhorsepublishing.com. I was talking yesterday on the show, Tony, about uh, a speech that Dr. Larry Arne, the president of uh, Hillsdale gave uh, about three or four months ago, in which he said, if you were trying to find a way to, to make a, a free republic become uh, despotic, one thing you do is create these massive, uh, bureaucracies that have control of regulations and money, and if you just do it on a sh- sheer measure of the time period that uh, that uh, Dr. Fauci has been completely in charge of his place, 1984, he was there for ten years before that. But when you listen to what uh, Bobby Kennedy, June, Bobby Kennedy says in the in his book, uh, you, you realize that the scope of the growth of the influence. And by the way, the book, again, is The Real Anthony Fauci, published by Skyhorse Publishing. It, the, the scope and the size, the money and the regulatory influence, it's just stunning. It's 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 hundreds and hundreds of trillions of dollars, hundreds of billions for sure, but trillions of dollars. And everybody is tied up. Yeah, I, mean, I can't believe to say it that people don't realize a whole bunch of senior staff in Fauci's office make money on patents for things that are sold by pharmaceutical companies I mean you talk about conflict of interest if you and I did it with our little league if you and I ran a little league and we made money off the baseballs we'd be arrested let alone that it's it's uh, you know hundreds of billions of dollars and and it's extraordinary to think how uh, our government has grown and how dominant the pharma, the pharmaceutical industry is. And by, let me say, one, ask you one thing. I've heard the criticism uh, in the book and other places that um, I think Roger Ailes told uh, Bobby Kennedy at one point, the late Roger Ailes, something like, uh, we're not going to talk bad about the pharmaceutical companies. In off-year elections, two-thirds of our, our revenue for ads comes from pharmaceuticals. It's another reason why they can't let your book be out there, right? That's exactly right,
2: that, uh, you know, he was saying that 70% of oh, that you revenue- uh, came from pharmaceutical companies, so they could never, you know, go against them. And I, I think following the money makes a lot of sense. You know, following it in the sense that people say, "Well, you should believe in science." A very complicated statement because science is always evolving; it's not something static. But you know, how can you believe in science when there are these incredible financial entanglements that are sort of controlling science? So it's about who decides to fund research? You know, that has a lot to do with the outcome of research. So you look at research and you say, well, all the major research points to this or that. So, but then even with Dr. Fauci, you see that Dr. Fauci, as we've all heard, is the most highly paid public official. And as Forbes said, he gets uh, $350,000 a year as a retirement package for the rest of his life. Um, Whereas Robert F. Kennedy Jr., you know, isn't making one penny. There was a fascinating story this morning in the New York Post where they said, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is making millions on his book, (laughs) Uh, which is fascinating because they they emailed me yesterday asking me what the advance was and, uh, you know, how much money he was making. And I said, specifically, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has donated all of his royalties from this book. And I can tell you personally, as the head of this company, that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is not making one penny on the book. right? And not only that is from his whole career as somebody fighting corruption and fighting corporate greed, he hasn't made any money. It's cost him money. This is right. incredibly costly to him, you know, personally, professionally. So I think that we should be grateful for him and for people like him who are willing to do things that are against their personal interest based on their their values, based on
1: wanting to do the right thing. Uh, we're talking with Tony Lyons. Tony, I just have another uh, one, one or two more questions, another minute or so. Uh, thank you for coming on. Again, the book is The Real Anthony Fauci, and you can go to skyhorsepublishing.com and see that book and other books. You can buy it anywhere books are sold, too. But I want to ask you a broader question, Tony, about the cancel culture, because you've been in publishing now for decades. You had your own press. You started Skyhorse, I don't know, 15 years ago. It's been very successful. But I'm looking at the website, and I got the new releases on this website, and it's Teaching Your Child to read okay that's one the base but the new book of baseball trivia these are all books published by skyhorse uh, publishing the uh, virgin elizabeth i don't know what that is about a novel oh it's a novel uh from china with love uh, the illustrated directory of guns the doctor's weight loss diet my point here is you're selling books to people that like books and and not right wingers you're, you're you're not or left wingers you know you publish woody allen's book when you publish a book on epstein uh so you know so and but but are you when you watch what's happened to the world in America, in terms of the cancel culture, do you worry about um, you built a business that sells books to people? Are Are you worried about being canceled? Are you worried about um, being targeted? Do you do you watch and say to yourself, well, I have brought I'm diverse enough that I can't be uh, I can't really be canceled. I, it, it's got it. You put a target on your 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 back by being so uh, so publicly um, uh, willing to defend what you've done. My feeling there is that
2: is that I would be more afraid not to do the things that I believe than I am of any consequences for making those kinds of choices. So I think that cancel culture is is wrong, that you should look at the content of a book, not at who wrote it or what the backstory is. It's just about the book itself. It's a work of art. It's, it's like a painting. Um, So, you know, I don't really have any fear of consequences. What I have is fear of the kind of world that we're heading towards, but some real joy in the fact that a book like this can sell 800,000 copies despite all of this censorship and all of these negative articles about the author. And, you know, so, so I think that there's a really hopeful story here. And that the hopeful story is that that people are not being fooled by it. People want to live in a democracy. They want to have dialogue and debate, and and they want to have dissent. And they're really willing to fight for that. And it, it's not so much what what I do as a publisher or what Robert F. Kennedy Jr. does. It's it's millions and millions of people making decisions and you know flocking to websites where where there's no censorship or to radio shows where there's no censorship or listening to podcasts. So, so I think that there's a real kind of revolt going on now and that
1: I think is a really positive thing and a a hopeful thing for the future. Uh, Tony Lyons, the publisher, founder of Skyhorse Publishing, skyhorsepublishing.com. By the way, on your website, the mission, it says our mission, Skyhorse Publishing, to work hard, move fast, have fun, make money, and change lives for the better by publishing superior books on a wide range of topics from as many differing viewpoints as possible. It's pretty good. I I have to say the one thing I saw in there, Tony, was uh, work hard, move fast. I I think it's really interesting. You got this book out, uh, the the Bobby Kennedy book uh, out, you know, in a a timely, it's fast to do a book. I mean, again, the publishing can be slow. And and so that was uh, impressive. Well, hey, thank you for the time. I, we went over time, but it's a, a fascinating book. As you say, it's got a million footnotes and a million sources. And he uh, the, the author in in the case of uh, when I was listening on the book on tape, they send you back to the the children's uh, health defense uh, website to get more updates and things. So there's a lot of kind of ongoing. So I appreciate it very much, Tony. Good luck with everything. And uh, we'll have you back on again. Thanks so much. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. We come back. I'll put up on social media. And uh, there's a lot of books over on Skyhorse Publishing, some really interesting ones, including Dershowitz, who I love to uh, quote Alan Dershowitz, amazing guy. And uh, so we'll put all that up on social media. And we'll take a break. And we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment.
0: This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly.
1: Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Politics makes for strange bedfellows. Listen to this quote from a politician and see if you can guess their political persuasion. Quote, if you care about our students, if you care about our families as we do, we will not relent. Enough is enough. We're standing firm and we're going to fight to get our kids back to in-person learning. Period. Full stop. End quote. Hearing this quote, you might think I'm reading from a right-wing political pundit. In reality, that's a direct quote. Word for word, from the leftist mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot. Mayor Lightfoot said these words in response to the Chicago Teachers Union's sudden decision to stay home rather than come to work last month. The union said that they would be open to remote instruction, but the school district refused, citing the fact that remote instruction is an absolutely unacceptable substitute for actual classroom learning for most students. This strange standoff is pitting two groups of leftists against each other. On one side, you have the teachers' unions that don't want to go to work. On the other side, you have Democrat politicians who know they will get roasted by parents if they don't pretend to be supporters of in-person learning. They learned that lesson the hard way by being slow to reopen schools in the early days of COVID. The parents' rights groups sprouting up throughout the nation made them see the light as concerned constituents often do. Wherever the battle lines may be drawn, there's no question who the loser is when schools shut down because of COVID. Students and parents are the real victims. Sadly, teachers' unions don't seem to care about the students. They don't really seem to care about the teachers either. At the end of the day, teachers' unions, like most other unions, only care about securing more political power for themselves. Sure, they use teachers and students to achieve this end, but don't mistake this political gamesmanship for genuine concern. Parents should not count on unions to take care of their kids. Parents themselves are the best judges of what's best for their children. And parents agree that in-person learning is the way to go.
0: Parents and grandparents jumpstart the education of that child you love so much with a proven phonics course. With TurboReader, anyone at any age can learn to read. For free information on Phyllis Schlafly's Turbo Reader, call toll-free 1-866-TRY-TURBO. Open the door to a lifetime of reading and self-motivation. Call 1-866-TRY-TURBO. Thanks for listening and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. And uh, we'll wrap things up today with a little window, what you need to do. Uh, you know, there's always a lot of talk in politics, in everything, about, uh, hey, you did the right thing. I'll stand by you. That's how people say it. Then they forget. I was watching, uh, I was looking at Twitter the other day, and I was, um, I like to look at the Twitter feed of Jesse Kelly. Jesse Kelly is a radio host, does a TV show, I think. Um, I think he's based in Houston, Texas, or somewhere in Texas. He's really snarky, kind of plays this great character, grumpy guy. But he said how um, conservatives will complain about um, somebody being silenced for about 10 minutes, and then they'll move on. And then someone will say, why'd you move on? And, you know, why are you still going and staying at the Marriott when the Marriott, well, you know, blocked uh, Candace Owens or something, and... And the conservatives will say, "Well, where else am I going to stay? Uh, what am I going to do?" And that uh, Jesse Kelly was making fun of that. Well, it's kind of true. So here's a story that ran, and I think it's um pretty damning. And the story is about all those Republicans who voted uh, to impeach Trump. You know, I think there was ten, and um, the ten of them all got primary opponents. And, you know, everybody said, oh, man, that's amazing. You know, you got you're going to run against these people. You know, Adam Kinzinger and uh, John Katko, a couple of them actually quit. Uh, three or four of them actually quit and aren't running again for reelection. But a number of them are running for reelection. And the ones that voted for the impeachment raised more money than their challengers by far. And there's a reason for that, of course. There's a couple reasons. One reason is incumbents get more money from people because they're in office and they can influence policy, right? If you're going to invest your money, you're going to invest with somebody that can help you. That's, you know, whether you, whether you like that or not, if you think that sounds crass, at its best, having a relationship with an in-office in candidate, an in-office elected official, you know, because you support them and what they do, there's nothing wrong with that. At its worst, you're buying up influence. But what's true in this case is the men and women that uh, voted to impeach Trump, they were you know, all told that was so wrong because it was so wrong at the time. It was so improper. It was improper under the Constitution. It was improper under the politics of the moment. It was improper among, in every way, it was just a terrible thing to do. And so lots of people decided to run for office against those folks. And they're running now. And I'll put up on social media this article that lists them. You need to find these people and you need to support them if you can. If you're someone who writes a check, $10, goes online and gives $20, these are the people that deserve to be supported for standing up and getting into the fray against folks that acted so poorly. If you cannot hold the people in your own party accountable, if you can't have a standard that says to the people in your own party, hey, these are things you won't cross Then it doesn't, you might as well not have a party. And when you say, as we all did, hey, this is a terrible, terrible thing. These people, these men and women that voted for impeachment, not only are being unconstitutional, not only are they being poor politicians, they're aiding and abetting the media, the fake news media and the far left and the the, the, uh, narrative machine, big tech, big media, big government in lying about we the people. So these people are, their conduct, I'm careful to say that someone in their heart and soul is a traitor, but their conduct is traitorous. It's treacherous. But here we are. Go look and do a search. You'll see a list of the men and women that stood up that are challenging the people who voted for impeachment. And all of the incumbents are outraising the challengers. All of them. I think that um, Joe Kent out in... uh, in uh, is it Washington State is one of the ones that's closest. He's running against Representative uh, Butler, and he's closest, and he's pretty darn pretty pretty dynamic candidate. He's actually been pretty good. Um, uh, Fred Upton, who voted for impeachment, he's got a candidate against him, state rep, and he's just brought in tons more money than him. Now Fred Upton's been around forever, so he's able to uh, he is able to uh, because he's got seniority, he's able to really tap into the lobbyists and all. But my point here is, it's partly symbolic that you support the guys and gals that stand up. It's partly um, uh, kind of um, solidarity, but it's also just very practical. If we ask men and women to lead, we have to be willing to get out there and support them. So these, these folks, I think uh, Tom Rice is one. Um, uh, No, no, Tom. uh, Let's see. Yeah, no, Tom Rice is one, yeah, who's being challenged. He voted for impeachment by a state rep, Russell Fry. Uh, there's um, uh, Adam Kinzinger and Anthony Gonzalez and John Katko all quit. So those guys are all not running. So those are three. Liz Cheney, now she's got opponents against her they are raising money, hand over fist. Peter Mayer of Michigan, he voted for impeachment. He's been terrible. He still de- defends it. Anyway, my point here is what you need to do is find the good guys. And you need to set the dynamic in your, in your political life and in your, in what you're doing that you support the people that stand up when they're called to do it. Because it's a lonely place. And I can assure you the woman running against Liz Cheney, they're going to spend millions to try to destroy her. And she deserves our support. The guys and gals that are standing up like this, Deserve our support. So I hope you'll do that. Take a look at that what you need to do. All right. Uh, thank you, as always, to our great producer, Noah Dingley. Thank you to our associate producer, Joanna Spilger. Thank you for listening. Don't forget, visit proamericareport.com and check out everything that's there. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then.
0: This is the Pro America Report on The Answer, San Diego.